We're living the darkest version of the Inside Out universe, essentially. The Pixar, like, <laughs> this is the darkest version. Oh, wait. Is that the one with Amy Poehler and the little brain, her different emotions? Is, yes. As, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're just all like either anger or the, the one that's crying. <laughs> There's that's like right. no, none of the fun ones. Welcome to Breast Cancer is Boring, a podcast about breast cancer with Jocelyn and Lauren. Whether you have breast cancer or any other kind of cancer or you're just a weirdo who's super <laughs> cancer curious, welcome. We hope you enjoy. Because breast cancer is boring, but we and you are interesting. I love it. Okay, it's Breast Cancer is Boring, and today we have two very special guests that we're going to get to in a second, but first, announcements. Um, First announcement, Lauren can't be here today, so it's just me, um, which, yeah, that's never great when it's it's just me, but but I also have two guests that are going to be really awesome and they're gonna talk a lot of the time so you know if you come here for lauren content exclusively i understand if you leave now but also maybe give the two guests a chance they're pretty cool and they got some stuff to say so it's not just gonna be all me the whole time although if you like that kind of shit i do make that available because i am low-key narcissist and also need uh affirmation and validation personally and not just as a collective group of two anyway second announcement it's still a pandemic no it still is though is it Ah, yes it is being a part of a global community means it's still a pandemic but the vaccine seems to be working really really well so i think we can start how about i not give you advice I have chosen to start kind of going out into the world without a mask where it's not required. Um, I go to yoga now without a mask. I went into Starbucks without a mask for the first time the other day to pick up my mobile order. It felt crazy. Like, woo, what a rush. Um, But yeah, if you're vaccinated, you can walk into a Starbucks without a mask. Um, I still wear a mask to the doctor's office and anywhere else that requires it because uh, it simply does not bother me to do that. So, and I like have like 12 masks, you know? I still find that they can be functional in my life to a certain extent. But I also got to say, not wearing a mask after having to wear a mask every day for the last year well maybe even more than that especially from working in a hospital it was it was pretty great it is pretty great i'm also vaxxed all the fuck the way up and it's a glorious feeling you should try it you might like it um check with your local cvs walgreens target what have you pharmacy to get an appointment and now let's move on with the show Today we're talking about some of the potentially problematic parallels between the experience of members of the breast cancer community and members of the transgender community, specifically the way we have to navigate our own feelings around our breasts amid the feelings of uh, complete-ass strangers who feel entitled to give us their opinion on the matter. So, here to talk about that, we have two very special guests, my Instagram friend, 
now my virtual friend, Tori, who is at Mushi24, if you want to find her on Instagram, and if she lets you be her friend, which is up to her, um, and her son, Charlie, who I only know now lives in the same city as me and literally works across the street when, you know, in-person stuff is happening, which is amazing. Um, welcome to the show, you guys. Thank, Thank you. you so much. This is surreal. I can't believe that we're here. <laughs> I, I kind of can't either. It's um it is a testament, Tori, to like how I think like just open you are that like we just follow each other on Instagram and then in my memory, as I do sometimes with people, I just kind of slid into your DMs and I was like, <laughs> Hey, <laughs> hey, you you up? <laughs> you wanna you wanna do a podcast? <laughs> well, so I was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer in May of 2020. And I live in Oklahoma, a very conservative state. And um, so I'm stuck in COVID. So I'm searching for any support or anyone. I, I, had, I did have a friend who had breast cancer prior to me, five years, triple positive. So she was a, so much help to me. But still, so I'm searching and searching. And then I come across your podcast. I'm like, because everywhere I go, we have a support group in Oklahoma. Most all of them are Christian-based. I'm agnostic. I'm liberal. And I was like, and I'm triple negative, which is even a greater subset. And I'm like, I'm mm -hmm. so alone. And then somehow I came upon y'all's podcast. And I must have powered through it in a, a week. And I was just sending it to Charlie and Charlie's sister, Roxy. And I was like to understand me you've got to listen to this and you've got to listen to that and then finally you mentioned a restaurant because first of all it's like how do i find people like this in oklahoma it's just not going to happen and so um finally you mentioned a restaurant that i have been to and i was like oh i know where they are <laughs> and oh man i'm like they're where you are like <laughs> how are we going to figure this out you know like am i right or am i wrong and it took a little sleuthing That's nuts. because that was my job s s snooping on people pre times and um so i worked for my father who was a lawyer so oh I had man to i thought you were gonna people. say the cia but <laughs> working for a lawyer is still very cool yeah so i figured it all out and then i found you on instagram and then i tell charlie i'm like they're following me back <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> No, yeah, we feel like we're we're meeting our friends who were with us on this journey. Yeah. I feel very much like I'm meeting my friend. And speaking of snooping, Tori, I saw today on your stories that it's your one-year anniversary. Is it of yeah. starting chemo? Starting chemo. I got my port, and um, I don't it's, it's always interesting to talk, talk to somebody about breast cancer because I'm like, why does somebody do it this way or that way? You know, all of our protocols are so different. So they did my yeah. port and my sentinel node biopsy at the same time. So I know a lot of people, they do it after, but they did mine mm -hmm. together. So that was June 11th. And then a week mm. after I started chemo and Charlie and Roxy, so they must have gotten there like June 16th. I think Roxy got there June 17th. Wow. The great so. migration back to OKC. Mm -hmm. Back to <laughs> yeah. OKC. How long had it been since you had been there? Oh, boy. My, well, my Christmas mom's always probably. coming. 
Yeah, so not terribly long, but my mom's always coming up to Austin because Austin's a lot more appealing to spend time in Oklahoma City. No offense to whoever what? hears this in Oklahoma City, <laughs> but um, there's lovely things about Oklahoma City too. But uh, I suppose the interesting part of the story is I had been back to Oklahoma a handful of times, but it had, it had never been the case that since high school, at least, which was a long time ago, that myself, my sister, and my parents were all staying in the same house together for extended periods of time. And actually that uh, my sister and I were sleeping on blow-up mattresses in the living room for like mm-hmm. two months uh, during the middle of COVID. So it, it's just, it could have been a reality TV show, honestly, because it was so, if it wasn't my life, I would have found it to be fascinating, I guess. I, I would have thought, what on earth is going on here in the middle of all this oddity that the world already was? Uh, the the four of us just sort of like hunkered down in, in our house, and there were some lovely times too in, in the midst of everything. So, but yeah, how long did that last? I was in Oklahoma on and off for about three and a half months, and my sister and I would do shifts. So I would come back, and then she would come back, and we would trade. Uh, so almost the entire duration. With the exception of, I think, about the last month and a half of yeah. my mom's chemo. Yeah. During the tax all part. Because everybody's like, tax all is going to be easier. And it was. But boy, was I worn slick by then. <laughs> yeah. But that was a year ago. Mm-hmm. You're looking great. Thank you. I see hair, which is always, you know, mm-hmm. when people start assuming it's over for you. So congratulations right. on that assumption that people will make about you now. Which is both awesome and terrible at the same time. Well, I, I think everyone will agree that um, I'm pretty forceful in <laughs> the way I tell people how to treat me. So, the, I mean, as a matter of fact, I mean, that was the whole thing with the podcast. Like, you need to listen to this so you can understand your mother. <laughs> You're a good advocate for yourself. That is true. Yeah, which I think in a in the current climate feels pushy to a lot of people, but it is just, you're a good advocate. Yeah. Um, and your kids seem like good advocates for you too. I mean, like they moved to your home for like, you know, yeah, they concocted a plan together. We did. They knew, they knew their mom and they were like, she's not going to let us do this. She will not take any help. We were, sh- we were certain that she was going to tell us no that when we were going to come home, that she would say, that's not necessary, and I won't even allow it. And so we wrote this sort of manifesto to her about why we were going to come home in a text message form. And my my sister, uh, my sister was feeling especially paranoid that she would say no. And, and so we send this novel, and what you need to know about her is that she's notoriously bad texter and that she okay. writes like short, curt responses with no punctuation. And if you didn't okay. know, if you didn't know where you go, I think she might be mad at me. Rude. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I know it's just to the point. So she responds back to this novel, this like compassionate novel, but just a thumbs up. i'm in the middle you did you did and so i'm in the middle of a workout 
because I, I press send and then I, I go exercise. Oh, God, good for you. This was 2020 and you were working out? I was working out outside, yeah. Okay, can we talk and, about that when we're done here? Because I need some inspiration. <laughs> so my sister's like, I knew it. She doesn't want us to come back. <laughs> and I, so I, I called her and I was like, no, 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 just wait and see. And then, and then, and then she wrote a very lovely message about how that would be great. And, and it was appropriate length in response to what we sent. But, uh, but yeah, we, we all, all but demanded that we come home and she said, that sounds good. Wow. And Tori, did you really want them to come or were you just, you know, I, feeling I, bad that they were so? I did because this is probably like the biggest, besides having, giving birth to them, it's probably the biggest thing that's ever happened to me. And I realized they, as much as I needed it, they needed it. And so I did it as much for them as I did for me. Did you have to get chemo alone? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um, and, and it's weird, even in the cancer community, which I've actually found online through Instagram and uh, Reddit, it's funny for me to hear cancer patients talk about their friends they met in chemo. And I'm like, they wouldn't, I mean, I can't only imagine if I tried to go up and buddy-buddy next to somebody, they probably would have been like, yeah. oh. You know, go away. <laughs> right. Like, you're not supposed to be near me. And yeah. so we all stayed in our little cubbies and didn't talk to anybody. And my husband could come up for certain doctor's appointments, but not all of them. Okay. It was weird but... to to be on the other side and just kind of drop her off at, at, and then mm. just have that knowledge that she was going in there by herself, you know. It was a strange experience. While this was going on, so when you and I were talking, Tori, about being on the show, there were a couple of things that you said about the experience that you went through and the relationship that changes with your body, how you view your body, which, you know, you've birthed children, which I hear is a great thing <laughs> uh, to do um, and, like, makes you feel like, yeah, my body can do anything. And then wham, you get hit with cancer. And I remember you telling me that it felt like such a betrayal. Right. Like your body had turned against you. And and that there were some parallels. Like how could you do this to me? And then I sometimes speculate on people who are transgender, who were assigned female versus assigned male at birth. And that sense of betrayal there's got to be some shared sense of betrayal there. Otherwise, I'm making it up, which is also possible. But, like, how could you do this to me? Why would, you know, why do I have to go through this when other people don't? That kind of a thing. What were, like, were there some parallels there as you both were kind of going through major body changes? I think... For sure there was. It's like we could had a certain level of understanding about about it and um, um, like how people compartmentalize you and things like that. And um, um, really during treatment, the whole focus became about me, really. And if anything, mm -hmm. it, it slowed down and impeded Charlie 
to do the things he wanted to do because it was so all about me because uh, the immediacy of what I was dealing with. It wasn't something we could wait on. So, um, but yeah, I think, um, um, I don't know. What do you think, Char? Yeah, a ton. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of parallels. It's actually kind of shocking and unexpected the amount of through lines between these two experiences. And I'm, I'm cautious to say that because I, I, I'm cautious to, to say it in a particular way because I know there's sensitivity there in, in, in that um, we can't ever really know. I can never know what it's like to be someone who, who's been diagnosed with cancer and to go through all those experiences. So I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily uh, make these two experiences synonymous with one another, but um, there are there are consistent themes. And and what's interesting is uh, before I had even come out fully to my mom, um, we would sit around and talk a lot because we like we mentioned we we were we were in this house, couldn't go anywhere. It's COVID. We watched every damn movie on Netflix that you can, and eventually <laughs> you're 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 like let's just you know, but we sit around and talk a lot anyway. And so during during uh, the beginning of this, my mom was being put in this position where for the first time, I don't want to say ever, but such in such a pointed way and a, a constant way, she was having to both think about her her female body and what that means to her and and what it doesn't mean to her and what it, it means to other people and at the same time uh considering her body in a way that felt unkind to her and and the word you use which is betrayal which is a really good word and there were things that she was saying that i was like boy you just pluck that thought right out of uh, the narrative of my entire life. And what was kind of incredible about it is that it, it actually allowed for many moments where I was almost more comfortable sharing things with her because of this mutually shared experience. And there was even an evening... I don't know if you'll remember this mom and, and who could blame you because there's yeah. the amount of things going on and, yeah, and I don't know what drugs being put in the body. But... Yeah. But there was a night where we stayed up pretty late and we were talking about this and uh, it was, I, I told her, I, I, I was like, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm at home in my body and I never have. And uh, I'm telling you this, you're the first person I've ever told really, uh, with the exception of my fiance. Um, and these moments wouldn't have happened as complicated as that sounds, uh, this way in the absence of this sort of mutually shared experience. Um, so even though my mom was saying that it sort of slowed things down in a way, it also sped things up because it allowed me to really open up and share in the space 
And it also allowed me to know that my mom was going through so much that um, that she didn't have time to worry about me, which was a good thing, you know, uh, that in that's the sort of, pardon my French, like fucked silver lining of this situation is that uh, that the gravity of what I was going through and, and, and about to do was something that she didn't have time to fret over because I was going to be all right. And it was her and what she was going through that was important. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there there's all sorts of uh, parallels that you can dive into. Yeah, because I, now that I'm out of treatment, I've kind of gone back to that, like, that motherfucker Ted Cruz, my God, what is all <laughs> oh this transgender, transgender yes. shit? Now, you can cut any of this out if you want. No, I will we, not. We do, we do, we do. I was like, oh, good, we can, we can mm-hmm. curse, because we curse a lot. It's all um, or nothing, right? So we're going all in. <laughs> yeah. Go all in, please. Okay, And good. Then, so it's just like the politicians where... Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I do live in a conservative state and I haven't seen some of my friends and because I've known people forever, I, I think Charlie, Charlie came out bisexual in college and we have always been as liberal as we are taking them to the gay pride parades as little kids and everything like that. And, um, so, um, um, but yet still, I live in Oklahoma, and I have many conservative people in my life. So part of my posting on Instagram was just like, I haven't seen any of y'all. FYI, this is, like what's, a warning. This, this is what's been going on <laughs> in my life besides the cancer, and decide whether you want to see me again, because I'll tell you one thing cancer's got done for me is I give no fucks anymore. I'm like, <laughs> yes. You know, I'm like, if you yes. want to leave my life, leave my life, because I'm going to be that stinker in the room that's like, I'm sorry, but what you said was bullshit. My bucket of fucks hath run as dry <laughs> is so strong. I've never felt like this before. And I've always been very outspoken as a person, like yeah. very, you know, opinionated or you're a lot to handle or you're a strong personality. Um but I haven't always used my powers for good. And, you know, over the last 10 years, I've been on a long journey to extricate myself from a very religious upbringing in a very specific evangelical environment, which comes with a lot of uh, garbage thinking that I've been moving out of. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing like the humbling experience. Not that cancer made me a totally different person because it didn't. Fuck you, cancer. I did all the work. Exactly. But... There's nothing like going through an experience where you, it's almost like a reverse engineering in some way. Like, I was pretty comfortable with my body. I had probably, I had some areas I wasn't happy with, but like, you know, all of us are conditioned to feel that way. But then you go through cancer, you don't have a choice. So now I have, you know, these tits are not real. I don't even have my the belly button I was born with. This is a fake belly button that the plastic surgeon made for me because she had to cut mine out to make this boob. So, And then I don't get estrogen anymore. I don't get progesterone. And in going through all down all these rabbit holes of like what that was going to be like, I discovered a lot of, like you mentioned, Reddit and, and those kinds of things um, linked to the transgender community. And I was like, Oh my God, this is, it's just, 
this idea that there's a set of requirements that makes you one gender, another gender, or that we even have to kind of bifurcate them or even put them on a spectrum at all, it gets so muddied when you start looking at people like us. Like, what makes a woman? Right. All right, she's got boobs. You know, she probably has a vagina. She's got estrogen and progesterone. Well, take away, like, four out of the five and like, so what am I then? Like, am I a half woman? Am I like a, I don't understand. Like if this is being regulated from the top down, right? instead of just like, you know, I am what I am and I very much know what I am. I'm a woman. And so if someone is, and I feel that in every part of me. And so if someone is telling me I am what I am, I'm a man, I am what I am. I'm, I'm non-binary. I'm, there are like a lot of other terms that I'm not that knowledgeable about, but I believe them because they must feel how I feel. They must feel it in their entire body. I just don't understand the fascination and the obsession with policing this in in any way. In legislation, I don't understand it. Well, I... Um... Breast cancer is so genderized. I knew I wouldn't have implants because, I, like I said, I worked in law, and my job was breast implant litigation work. Oh, God, you're about to scare the shit out of me, aren't well, you? Well, I had to just – some people have them, they're fine, and some people don't. But I had to look at the pictures, so I was just like, well, I've been Ooh. down that road, so um, I'm like, I'm not doing that. And then I it led me into a place where women had to fight to be flat, and I'm like, this is bullshit. Like you, ha- like women wake up and the doctor doesn't do what they want. They still are. That's crazy. And I was just like, this bullshit. Any breast cancer woman should be able to be flat, have implants. I, I can't remember what yours. I don't know what the acronym stands for. The D I E. I don't know what it. I know you had it, but I don't know what it means. I don't know yeah. the proper name. I know it has a proper name too. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I don't remember. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it was just like, your pink, the first thing they gave me, I told you, um, when they told me I had breast cancer, was a pink pillow. And I was like, we got home, I told my husband, I'm like, please throw the pink pillow away, please. And I was like, I'm not a pink warrior, I'm not a, I'm a pissed off motherfucking person's what I am. And if yes. these have to come off so I can take another trip to Berlin with Charlie, then take them off. Like, I... <laughs> You know, like, just keep me alive. The interesting thing about all this is people don't realize and how we, how uh, almost cult-ish we are with gender uh, roles and, and norms. And that it's, it's literally in everything down to... Mm-hmm breast cancer and what i mean by that is for example the 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 pink pillow right it's like if i think about some of the friends i have in my queer community i know tons of credible strong butch lesbian women and they don't want a pink pillow you know these these women are uh in they they're very masculine presenting and and they are very proud of that, and they don't want to be reduced down to um, sort of antiquated versions of femininity. And that, and I think about that. I think about you know my mom who who is um, 
also a strong feminist woman and and is has no interest in him. Those things never resonated with her and they never have. And mm-hmm. in, in that way, and my I, even though my mom is a, a cis uh you know, a cisgendered heterosexual woman, uh she she felt isolated from, from this experience and and so uh you know that's just one example but when you're talking about the obsession of, of policing these things that's another parallel between uh being uh, a transgender person and, and being uh someone with breast cancer is, is that people feel that they have the sort of prerogative to make commentary about your choices about your body and I would imagine that if my mom was in a situation where she had decided to do a flat, 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 that somebody was going to have something to say about it. Mm-hmm. And they would, they would inquire and ask, like, that's their, that, like, that's their information to have because it's mm-hmm. a point of, of conversation because they're intrigued by it. They don't understand it. They can't wrap it around the experiences that they've had because we place such a value on women existing in this very specific way and showing up in this very specific way, men showing up in this very specific way. And I think the reason that they're obsessed with policing it is because they've never had to pause to think about what this means to them. What is their own, what does their own gender and gender expression mean to them? And how, and when they meet people who throw them off, they now have to think about it and they don't want to think about it. They don't want to consider that because it's mm. confusing. And it's, it, it's the basis of which so much of our society is, is structured on. So it's a lot to take in for most people. <laughs> it is, but it's, it's the lady doth protest too much, right? Like, it, I don't think it is a coincidence that the Ted Cruz's of the world and those, you know, pillars of misogyny and women who uphold misogyny um, are so hell-bent on targeting the transgender community. Because if you want to look at a subset of the population that is the least confident in their own sexuality, it has got to be the misogynist and especially if you're steeped in any kind of um like traditional american christian values which so much of those politicians are right and I, you know i want to i want to be clear too that there's nothing wrong with wanting a pink pillow there's right. nothing wrong with that it's just the ubiquity of it and the assumption that everyone that right yes that's what's problematic and that that there's no space for somebody like my mom or my 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 amazing queer community where would they fit into this equation there's like absolutely no consideration for it and uh and so that's the the full circle amazing part of this story is that in the absence of that uh that's how we found this podcast Mm -hmm. (laughs) so here we are. Yeah. <laughs> We're for the other people. Because I don't want a fucking pink pillow either. And like, 
And I do think it's wrong. I do not like those pink pillows. I've got a whole problem with Susan G. Komen. Like, cash me outside, Susan. I'm just kidding. The woman herself, like, she died of breast cancer. I don't have any beef with her. But the breast cancer, you know, big breast cancer and the marketing of it and the way that it's been monetized and turned into kind of a self-perpetuating machine of money earning, um, not as much of it as you would think going towards research and cure, especially for any of the marginalized members of the breast cancer community, which would be metastatic breast cancer or um, the, your BRCA previvors. I don't like I don't like any of it. It's not moved with the times. It's not current, and it it's isolating. It because it it has decided what is normal for everyone. And so you have to be other then in order in order to to fit in anywhere like you're the other category. There's not like space for you in their space. A quick BSA breast service announcement. We need universal health care. And before you say politics has no place in healthcare, the government would just fuck it all up. They can't do anything right. Please do consider the following. It took the Women's Health and Cancer Rights Act of 1998 to force insurance companies to cover breast reconstruction. Before that, women are just paying out of pocket. It took the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, to force insurance companies to cover pre-existing conditions, like breast cancer, before which they could charge you extra or simply deny you coverage because you got sick. Literally almost any right you have to coverage and protections by any insurance company have been mandated by the federal government because without that, they wouldn't do it. The federal government, by the way, already runs its own healthcare program. And I don't mean the bare bones, watered down Medicaid and Medicare services, or even the marketplace. I'm talking about the insurance that anyone you've ever voted into office enjoys, including the president. And I don't hear them complaining. I just hear them denying it to the rest of us. Private insurance is that boyfriend who treats you shitty and then tells you you'll never find anything better. You'll never date anyone better than them. No one will treat you so good. You've never had it so good. They're the first to ghost you when you get sick, trying to make excuses for why they can't help you pay this medical bill and that one, and deep down you know they're only with you for the money. Case in point, if you were to lose your job, they'd break up with you by the end of the month or sooner, if legally possible. We need to break up with this bad boyfriend. Kick the for-profit insurance companies to the curb and commit to universal government health care for every single living person who is physically located in this country. It's ridiculous that in the richest country in the world, you can go bankrupt for getting cancer just because you don't want to die of it. Healthcare is not a privilege, it's a right. Everybody should have it, job or no job, no strings attached. Figure it out, make it happen. End of story, period with extra T at the end, full stop, end of announcement. It sounds to some people when I get political 
with a breast cancer podcast. I get feedback <laughs> like, well, why does that have to be part of it? And, and why can't it be, you know, there are people, podcasters, especially in the cancer space that keep it very um, like on brand, on topic. And so you don't really know where they are with that stuff. But the thing is, you can't extricate what is happening politically from the direct like cause and effect of the kind of treatment I'm allowed to get and that people are allowed to afford. I mean, we're talking about decisions that are going to be made for healthcare. We're talking about simple things like I get insurance through my job. I work for a Catholic hospital system. So I don't have the choice to get my ovaries taken out so that I don't have to go into the cancer center every month and get a shot in my ass in the same place that I had to go get chemo, in the same place I had to go get radiation, in the same place I sat and was told you have cancer. I have to go there every month and see the same building and Mm. the same seats and the same nurses every fucking month because... Catholics decided that it's against their beliefs to pay for me to have my ovaries out. Now, could I just pay for it and be done with it? Yes, I could. But I, why is that a decision that they get to make for my body? And just spread that out now to everything. Why are politicians making decisions for bodies, period? You know, I think no. I think if we're talking about politics a lot, and and we've done this on accident, I don't think we came in here locked <laughs> and loaded and ready to talk about Mitch McConnell. It was no accident. That was no, not on ahead. the on the agenda. <laughs> but if it's coming up, I think it's because mm-hmm. uh, that was such the backdrop of that was what was the backdrop of what was happening in the midst of of these two experiences for us, because in the, you know in the absence of of being able to live your life outside of your house and and and, and people just, not taking covid seriously right yeah. and, and that being such a central part of this experience for my mom right where where it was yeah. where it was this moment of another form of betrayal so to speak it's sort of a betrayal of humanity in that you you your mother is sick the most important person in your life and you you you're looking around at all these people who are so belligerent about wearing a mask when that's the thing that is going to keep your mom safe and you don't understand why this these perfect strangers don't have any sort of concern for their their fellow neighbor so to speak and so it was it was really bleeding into everything that was going on at this time and mm-hmm. and and we it was the only thing we 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 could uh focus on uh, outside of the everything else that was going on but also probably if we're being honest with ourselves my mom and my mom and i uh, you know politics has always impacted our lives but at this moment in time it was probably the most impactful that it had ever been to our lives. Decisions that were being made on a political level, we were going to directly feel. It was going it felt to felt like life uh, and death. 
it was going to have direct implications in our lives. Mm-hmm. And, and some, and I, there have been times in my life where, and probably times in my mom's life where it felt like political decisions that were being made at the highest level of, of government were, were not necessarily going to have this like massive, uh, ripple effect in our lives. Whereas here we are now and we're, we're going to feel these things. Like you bring up a really good point and, and that is that the more you can say like, I don't, you know, I don't get into politics or I don't, you know, the more you don't have to get into it and the more you don't have to pay attention and you don't have to be a part of it, the more privileged you are. Absolutely. Yeah. When I was young, healthy, white girl, you know, like those are multiple, multiple, multiple levels of privilege. And maybe, maybe my hopes and dreams were not hinging. You know, I had a preference. I had a strong, like, this is not a sports team that you're picking and you want them to win the Super Bowl. Like, these are people's lives. And what's unfortunate about me is that it took me a very long time to realize that you have a responsibility if you don't want to be a failure of humanity you have a responsibility to care about other people's lives and being a nurse helped teach me that but there is nothing like going through it yourself and feeling how vulnerable it is to know that a decision can be made by someone you've never met and don't even know and doesn't have your best interests at heart that can affect your ability to get affordable health insurance, to have a surgery, to get life-saving care that's not going to bankrupt you. There's an interesting um, crossover between the gay community and breast cancer. I don't know if you know all about Herceptin and um, how the group of women learned from the, is it ACT UP, Char? ACT UP, yeah. To demand um, for certain drugs and so they learn from them yeah. to get the Herceptin on the market yeah and, um, they stormed the offices at Genentech mm-hmm. because they knew that these trials were going so well I didn't know ACT UP was part of like helping them that was they, know how to do that they learned from them because ACT UP had done similar things mm. just the fight um, um, between women in the 80s having to fight the way transgender people are for breast cancer that transgender people are fighting now for health care um same battles um and we need to be part of that right i agree like it it's so it's unfortunate in a way unfortunate that's a really light-handed way to put it like the civil rights movement the, the dominant beneficiary of the civil rights movement was white women. Right. And that wasn't, that was not the goal. And since then, I feel like we've done shit all to reciprocate <laughs> on that right. as, a, as a, like a conglomerate group. And so I, I don't want that to happen again. I don't want you know, all of this energy to go behind like LGBTQ rights and transgender rights. And then the only thing that happens is white women get to have their aesthetic flat closures easier. Like I want, I want the full thing. I don't want this like, 
watered down version. What people don't understand is that by lifting this expectation that you have to prove something in order to get the surgery you need, in order to get the treatment that you need, that applies to everyone. Like, you will benefit. So it's just like an extra level of what the fuck don't you get about empowering every individual person to have governance and autonomy over their own goddamn bodies. Right. Well, I um, was in the middle of chemo and everything during Black Lives Matter and after George Floyd. And I remember uh, the phrase as defund the police and everything like that. My first reaction was, um, wait, what? But wait, I, 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 I need the police. And then all of a sudden, I had this revelation, and I was like, I don't know if you feel this way, because you've had cancer. It's like your body doesn't feel safe to you. Like, it, it attacked you, and you don't know why, and you don't yeah. know what you did, and you don't know, and you're always living with, I don't sometimes feel safe in my own body, and but I am my body. And I thought, yeah. all of a sudden, I had this revelation, I'm like, this must be what it feels like to be black in the United States all the time. You're born black. You go into the world and you're never safe by virtue of the color of your skin. And I thought, you know why defund the police seems scary to me? Because the police have been set up for me. Uh, my mother and I were, uh, were talking the other day and I'm like, oh, little old white lady, gray hair, you will get a pass every time. I'm like, I could be the Unabomber headed to <laughs> an airplane and no one is going to check me. I'm That's sweet, you do live, you do I'm live in Oklahoma. Sweet, it's sweet a old flag. white lady, you know? I'm, you know, and I'm like, of course, the police were built for me. And I'm like, no wonder that thought. And then I thought, well, if they weren't doing what they're doing for me, of course I'd want to defund them. And I... I wish it, I didn't have to get cancer for me to all of a sudden feel like it, what it must feel like to be feel under threat by virtue yeah. of your personhood all yeah. the time. So the, so the the tagline for our experiences happening simultaneously is if we were going on a road show, we would be promoting the idea of finding common ground in in mm. whether that's in trauma or completely categorically different experiences that have been really hard for someone if you can talk about it and be open you'll find you share similar feelings and and similar reactions and we we know a lot about what the other one was going through because uh, we talked about it a lot and we found a lot of common ground. One of the reasons I was so, so scared to come out is because I, at the time, I, I had read a lot uh, about uh, breast cancer, uh, people who've been diagnosed with breast cancer, feeling harboring a lot of uh, sort of feelings of frustration towards uh, the transgender community because why would you want to do that to your body? Why would you, why would you voluntarily do that? Right. And, um, this feeling of it being sort of insulting, if you will, like, uh, like so disrespectful to, to, uh, 
someone who's been through this that you would raise your like, hand. Like, you have healthy breasts. Why would you? Exactly. Like, why, why would, would you, you do, do? Why would you do this to yourself? Right. Like, and, I and, don't want to do this to myself. And right. you're volunteering. And this is something that I, I had read long before anything was going on with my mom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because you, 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 one of the things that I think is sort of a hallmark experience of, of being a queer person in this world is that you have a sort of morbid curiosity of the people who have the worst feelings towards you. Like you don't really want to know because it's, it's too much to take in. But at the same time, yeah. you kind of want to stare at like your worst haters in the face to see what's the worst thing you're going to say about me. And so sometimes yeah. you end up down rabbit holes, right? Yeah. Similarly, different kinds of rabbit holes where, all right, you know, now you're watching some, some horrible uh, video about uh, how much this person hates trans people. Um, and so I was freaked out. I was like, you know, everybody is going to call this a slap in the face to my mom. And and oh it's going, God. you know, it's going to, it's going to be this moment of like, how dare you do that to her in the middle of this? Uh, and so that was a big hurdle to sort of overcome. But that, but what I knew is that my mom wouldn't feel that way. Right. And that's the only thing that mattered. And, and I knew that because of, I knew how she thought about things, but I knew that also from conversations that we were having about her own body you know and about her choices and and that we were finding sort of common ground so yeah so many unusual moments like that and even being on this podcast i was gonna say it was the last thing i was gonna make sure i said um or get it in before we ended was to say i i actually do think people will listen to the podcast and think oh that must have been a burden on his mom and I need Mm. everybody to know that that is not true at all. Um, and like I said, I think there was so much going on in my life that I couldn't even think about it. And I am a, I do worry about my children. So we were so focused on my health that I didn't worry, but even on top of that, even if that hadn't been going on, but the fact that these two things came together did not stress me out. It wasn't some burden I took on, like, oh, how could Charlie do this in the middle of his mother's breast cancer? So if you're listening to this podcast, that is false. <laughs> FYI. Um, even if you think it's true, it's not true. Um, and yeah. um, it really gave us time to really sit and talk about it. You know, I could say anything and he could say anything to me. And we even compared, like, I'm like, damn, I'm like, who does those top surgeries on you guys? I'm like, (laughs) why do they not give these great ones to breast cancer people? It's like they go in, just like Mm -hmm. cut it all up and mangle. And and Charlie's got these beautiful little scars and all this stuff. And I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I was kind of happy. Like, I, those things scare me now. Just get rid of them. Can we talk your sister into it, too? You know, like, just take them off. Like, and then I was scary. like, I was like choosing from a catalog of very specific, like, I was like choosing like the width and the like breadth and the like projection of like, I mean, I was like, as long as I'm going to get a boob job, we're going to do this right. 
So, <laughs> you know? You know, at this moment, I, you know, you're speaking very declarative, in a very declarative way, but you're on the other side of it at the moment. And yeah. in the moment, there were yeah. lots of, of exploratory conversations. And, That's true. And so I recognized the the feelings in those conversations and the tone and, and the confusion. There was moments where right. you felt confused. There was moments where you felt like people were going to judge you about the decisions that you were making. And so it was just like the alarm bells were going off. Just I'm so familiar with all of these different things that you're saying, not just for myself, but for the things that I've seen in my community too. And, and so uh, there's such value in, and and looking for uh, the ways in which we share things in common, and even in the worst moments uh, of our 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 lives, I guess you know. And that, and I want to say also, I I know that that's a luxury too. Like, well, I don't feel like it was the worst moment in your life. It was for you. It was the best moment. This has been the best moments of your life. Really. Yeah. I mean, that's true, you know, so there, there's, there's some, it, you know, there's, there's the bright spot there, which was, I'm having this, I, I'm, I'm finally taking flight in my life in a way that I did not think I ever would, because I'm 34, and I, I was, you know, if you had talked to me, honestly, even like two years ago, I would have been like, this will never happen for me. I can't do it. I'm too scared. I I thought I would ruin my life. I thought I would ruin my family's life. Mm. And I was so worried about... I, I mean, I was so worried about you know, a, a litany of things. And, and so having this this opportunity to, to finally sort of free myself and step out of the world as, as who I, I really have always been and sort of return to myself in the midst of of all these crazy things going on it's probably a happy happy story for everyone including well of course myself but including my family i didn't know that until it was happening and they, they were celebratory and excited and, and it was uh just a good moment for everybody so who 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 saw this coming I didn't. With a, a family as progressive as Charlie's been raised in, it's still shocking to me the conflict and the fear that someone will have, even though they already have a supportive family, that my heart breaks for the people who don't. I can't even imagine, yeah. you know, because um, the hardest part for most of us who have transgender people or queer people in our life is actually the reactions of all you other people and that is one of the biggest fears I know that Charlie has always had is like I'm going to put you in this really uncomfortable position all the time of having to explain me or defend me or something like that and that honestly is if you're an accepting family that is really the only hard part and living in fear for your family member, whoever they may be, your child, a sibling, a, you know, whoever. That's the hardest part for any of us with um, people in our lives. So, 
Yeah, and there's there's some uh, there's some parts of that experience that are similar to to going through what my mom went through, right? Where she struggled. Prob- she she could not call us and tell us that she had this diagnosis, and who could blame her? Because nobody wants to call their family and tell them that. But at mm-hmm. at the root of what that is is it it is guilt, but it's not fair guilt. It's 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 guilt that shouldn't exist. It shouldn't be there, but it's there because yeah. you don't want your family to worry about you. You feel yeah. you feel you feel this sort of this sort pain. of tragedy yeah. in yeah. in telling them this because you know it's going to break their hearts because they're going to worry about you, and you t- you want to take that away from them. You don't want to be the the bearer of that concern and and the reason for that concern and worry, and it's the same, right? It's like when you when you have to share this with your family, you have to come out. The biggest gut wrenching part of it is is having that knowing that you're you're thrusting them into this place where they're going to worry about you all the time. That they're going to worry about how you're going to move through the world, and yeah. are you going to lose your job? Are you going to mm. are in the worst possible setting? Is someone going to harm you? Right? I mean, because yeah. that's a big thing right now is beating trans people up and uh that that feeling of of not wanting to not wanting to bring them into this circle of constant concern for me and 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 feeling that it's my fault right because that's the that's the thing that my mom would say sometimes when it was so wrong and i know that it's wrong i'd apologize that way about myself yeah, like, yeah. i'm so sorry i'm, I'm so sorry yeah mm-hmm. i'm sick mm-hmm. and i'm i'm so sorry you all so sorry you have to take care of me i'm so sorry like what yeah. that people do that that's just kind of crazy but we do we absolutely do we and... take the the ways in which we're being victimized in some capacity and make it our own fault yeah. And then apologize. Yeah. And it's not. Right. It's not yeah. any of our faults. We right. didn't do any of this. <laughs> it, it just is. Yeah. It's hard to make yourself remember that, too. It's it's one of the hardest yeah. things to, like, really, that mantra to practice and, and remind yourself, yeah. like, I don't have to feel that I I am a burden. You know, I mean, I'm still in that first year of survivorship, which is wacky. Like you're like fine, just living your best life. Next moment, you're like a hysterical mess. And you know, yes, my, my husband came home yesterday and he planted all this garden for me and everything. And we had five monarch butterflies in the backyard. And he comes in by, and I'm just crying. He's like, "Are you all right?" And I'm like, "There's five of them. And they're beautiful. <laughs> Look at all." And he's just like, okay, now. <laughs> it's good. To I know. love the. <laughs> I love the extremes, of like, for me anyway, of like, this world is fucked. I can't wait to get out of it. And then like all the way to the other end of like, everything is beautiful and it's wonderful and there is hope and like like, I can't settle on a. It's just all like. A mass together and it's it's a super um super messed up and i swear to god it happens every morning when i'm deciding whether or not to go to yoga those are the two things like 
you're going to do this for your body. It's a good thing. Like hot girl summer, let's go. And then the other <laughs> one is like, life is meaningless. You're going to die anyway. Why go? It's like, those are the two. <laughs> I do that with food. Voices in my head. Like, yeah. like oh, this is like, you're, not, you're not supposed to have that sugar. And then I'm like, but I might be dead in two years. Eat the cookie. Yeah. Cheers <laughs> to that. Tori and Charlie, I've taken up so much of your time and it's been awesome. And thank you so much for being on the show. Just, just to end it. I mean, I, I really, <laughs> I was so lost in that beginning, and then I'm like, mm. oh, Charlie, Roxy, there are people like me. Listen, so yeah. you, you did your service. You really did. I watched so a full glad. mental and emotional turnaround from my mom when I found this podcast. You so. did. Oh, yeah. Totally. I told, yeah. I told everybody. I told my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law. Yeah. I was, it was like, a big I'm not deal. alone. I'm not crazy. Oh my god. I'm not crazy. Yeah. Like No. Yeah, like yeah. there's other no. people in the world like me. So. And I'm not crazy either. Yeah. <laughs> like this is as validating for me as it is for you. Like, because I felt insane. And I was like, well, if I'm gonna be crazy, I'm not gonna be crazy all alone in my closet. <laughs> people are coming with me. <laughs> and here we are. And here mm-hmm. we are. So thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Tori. In conclusion, breasts are not a singular thing, and they are not universally desired by those born with them, regardless of gender, the existence of which is largely a cultural construct that doesn't actually exist. If you have a rainbow on your social media this month, you better be following that up with your vote and your money. The Equality Act, or H.R. 5, is headed to the Senate, so give your senator a call and let them know you support its passage. And if they don't, then maybe don't vote for that senator next time. Speaking of social media, you can follow us at Breast Cancer is Boring for episode clips, quotes, infographics made in times of financial freakouts, about the state of my healthcare bills and more. So follow us. Um, special thanks to our guests, Tori and Charlie, who are awesome and have been awesome and will continue to be awesome uh, forever and always. Everybody, thank you for listening. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>